Okay, everyone, special treat for you today. Sitting here with an old friend, and I don't mean old in age, I mean old in experience together. And I did just turn 40. You just turned 40. Well, you are still young to me. I am 51 now. So you are a baby. You are a baby to me. Okay. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. I'll just introduce myself. My name is Antisa Jensen. For those who wonder how to pronounce my name, I always feel like it's really good to just name that. My name's not easy to pronounce. Neither and is mine. I so get that. People always mispronounce it. Nick? That, that part. <laughs> <laughs> the last name. Is it pronounced Demos? No. Demos? No. Demos? No. How do you pronounce it? Oh my gosh. This is De- so Isn't that funny? Demos. Demos. Oh my gosh. I know. Well, we've been on a first name basis ever since we met, so I would never have known how to pronounce <laughs> your last name. <laughs> Hysterical? Yes. Anyway, going back to your story, however. Yes. So I am a I am an American. A lot of people think, oh wow, she speaks English really well for living in Denmark. I am an American. I have been and I immigrated to Denmark when I was 28 years old. Um, and I have been here for 11 and a half years. I run my own company and offer facilitation of transformation. That's really kind of the core of my work. And I put it under an umbrella of emotional intelligence because in my experience, the spiritual evolution comes quite naturally when one is emotionally mature. And that has kind of been a core part of how I operate in the world. Although, you know, when someone has that emotional maturity, we get to do some of the more profound work together also. Um, but that is definitely like my, that's the way that I face the world is my emotional intelligence work. I, I do a lot of trainings with both individuals and with companies in this work and teach them the foundations of how does your nervous system work and what's the difference between, I call it the emotional landscape, is the difference between your thoughts, your feelings, and your reactivity. And what is your protocol for how to be in the world in such a way that you can expand your capacity to receive and as a result, be more present for all aspects of your life. So that's really a sum up. I work with people all over the world, benefit of the internet. I have had an internet-based business since I started and I have clients on six of the seven continents. So wow, yeah, it's really, really lovely. I get to touch into all different kinds of cultures and backgrounds and all from my apartment here in Fredericksburg, which is a neighborhood in Copenhagen. You've been ahead of the curve, having the internet business long before it was a quote-unquote normal thing. I want to back up a bit, though, because go back to where we met. Yeah. Which was at a yoga studio yes. in, New- in Hell's Kitchen, New York City, when we were both Hell's living Kitty. there. Hell's <laughs> Kitty. Sonic Yoga in Hell's Kitty mm. when we met. And mm-hmm. what were you doing at that time? I don't remember, honestly. I was working at a French international investment bank called BNP Paribas. I was doing financial management of IT cost. I was the master of Excel, you know, like I, and I was very good at like telling the story with the number and I was managing a very large portfolio of expenses and contracts and software and hardware and processes. And when we met, I was really juggling is my purpose to quit all of this and start a yoga studio or is it to become a financier? <laughs> like, I like these two <laughs> totally polar opposite. This is so common for me throughout my life. I had finished my yoga teacher training at Sonic 
And I was so inspired. And Jonathan Fields had taught us all about how to open your own yoga studio and create a business around mm-hmm. teaching yoga, which was really rare for yoga teacher training trainings at that time. I mean, yeah, very at so, that time. So few people were ever successful at becoming yoga teachers. And I think many of the yoga teachers that I was in training with really pursued the path of being a yoga teacher because they were deep in the practice and they were interested in the business mm-hmm. aspects of it as well. And right after my yoga teacher training, I got a promotion and chose banking. <laughs> <laughs> Very dry and maintained my yoga practice. You know, I was totally this like hippy dippy West Coaster in New York City in many, many ways. And also trying to posture myself as a savvy New York woman in my late 20s. And <laughs> you and I met shortly after I must have gotten that promotion. I feel like it was when I was assisting one of Joe's classes and I must have given you an adjustment. And then we had a nice talk afterward. And Probably, yeah. It was love it. It was love at first sight. Love at first touch. Let it love it first touch. <laughs> and I was actually, what I was telling you before we started, and I will totally reiterate because it begs mentioning, is I was on a walk today and I was thinking about you and, you know, our call tonight and just anticipating getting to spend this time with you and having a lot of gratitude for how precious it is that I had these sort of seemingly happenstance interactions with these people in New York who you just never know whether you're going to see them again. Mm. And grace to social media. I've been able to maintain these connections over time from this time capsule in my life, which feels so far away. And it's like sitting back down on the sofa with you in the lounge. Like, like just, it, it just feels so precious, you know, like we, people are so spread apart and we're so separated from one another in so many ways. And especially if you have a life like mine, where you've moved a lot, you know, like I, I moved, I uprooted my entire life and moved to a foreign country and it's in a different time zone. And I, you know, traveled and been all over this place. And it's just so lovely to be able to like have those little touch points. Mm. Also in terms of the transformational journey, because my yoga teacher training was really the beginning of my explicit pursuit of transformation and living a yogic lifestyle. And that was why I signed up. I wanted to go deeper into the philosophy of yoga. And I, like, I was really curious about it. And, you know, years later, I went through awakenings and even bigger transformations and these really intense things. And it's really easy to think, oh, gosh, this is all brand new for me. And then you remember, oh, I've been at this for years. And so what you represent for me, Nick, is like this reminder that like I was seeking decades ago and like you were, you're the, the embodiment of like this freckle in time or wrinkle in time, (laughs) freckle or wrinkle, where I was really in this deep pursuit of God and of love and of sovereignty and all of the things that I, I live so totally in my being now. And they were just these hiccups Mm. then by like in, in retrospect, but they were so special. And like, just getting to be here, sitting across and looking at your face right now and like feeling you, I'm just like, Oh, wow. Like this has been a lifelong journey. It didn't just happen overnight. It's not even a recent thing. It's something that has been building over time as I've stripped away layers. And so this is what you, for me are are reflecting. Oh my gosh. I love that because I think we forget. Yes how sort of where we are versus where we began, so to speak, and how the journey is full of grace and how Mm. I can look at you 
and have seen such dramatic growth. I've watched it on the socials as we're talking about this great tool that we have to stay connected in some ways. Yeah. As much as it has torn us apart as a society, there are ways in which it has kept us together. It's such a tool. And I've been mm-hmm. able to be a witness to see this dramatic journey that you've been on and been able to hold that in my heart. So it's not like you were ever gone for me, if that makes sense. Yeah. You were yes. always there. Yeah. And part mm-hmm. of it is that community that we experienced at that time was out of space and time, but we were we were all in this transformational space. And so therefore yeah. we're bonded through that transformation. Even now, later, all these years later, we're all now, quote unquote, the experts. Mm-hmm. We're now mm-hmm. now the elders. We're now mm-hmm. the wise ones that are that are spreading and sharing the knowledge and wisdom and and teaching in our own ways and in our own capacities. Right. And so yeah. it's beautiful to be able to see and that see that reflected in each other, how we yes. how we now hold the space, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's yes, I 100% agree. I have a lot of gratitude for that. And it also it's it brings in a really lovely spoonful of humility in the sense of like, you know, we all started somewhere. Yeah. And I I say this to people all the time, like, first of all, I use the word emotional intelligence expert, because that's what LinkedIn responds to. (laughs) It's not, it's not because I'm like, oh, look at me, I'm an expert at all things like I mess things up all the time. And I was just I just had a, a group call yesterday where I was really highlighting that, like, yeah, I've got a great deal of mastery. Yeah, I have a lot of spiritual evolution under my belt. And I still face challenge. Of course. I still have. It's circular, you know, like you, you go through these patterns and then you find yourself, you're like, I don't know shit. I don't know anything. <laughs> and then you're yeah. like, oh, oh, okay. I'm gaining the, the, the mastery, the knowledge of this. I'm going to go share it with somebody. And then you come back and you're like, oh gosh, I don't know anything again. And then it, it starts over. It's this cycle. I'm pretty sure I have a good old spiritual crowbar that as soon as I inch just a little bit past the threshold of thinking that I know better, I get smacked down on my face. Totally. Totally. <laughs> It's like, oh, yeah, you think you do? Yeah, exactly. You want some humble pie? (laughs) Here you go. Here you go. I'm going to serve it to you, and it's hot, and it's going to burn the shit out of you. (laughs) That's pretty much it. Yeah. Sum it up. We're pretty much done now. We've covered. (laughs) (laughs) The end. (laughs) The end. You can stop here. But, yeah, that was a really special time. I don't know how. I, I didn't know much about you outside of the yoga studio. Yeah, we were really in like a bubble in that place, you know, I think for me at that particular time, I intentionally sort of kept my other life outside the doors of that safe space, because I didn't, I didn't want to be known as somebody or for anything that I was doing. I mean, at that time that you knew me, I was writing a musical that went on to win the Tony and was, you know, in this sort of super hyper part of my career that was very heightened and so to be able to close the door to that that energy and walk into this place where nobody cared nobody knew I was in this entertainment industry where it was all about like one-upmanship and and who was hot and who was not and that's and and you I walked into this space which is very open and so I sort of left a lot of that not behind me because I had to learn to integrate both of those that was a big part of that journey for me yeah. And to be in that space as a student and as a teacher, because I was mm-hmm. teaching there as well as being a student right. there. 
Mm-hmm. And to learn to be able to do both, like we were just talking about the humble pie thing, learning to be able to do both at the same time. And that was such a valuable time for me to know that I was always going to be the student, even as I was teaching. A good teacher is the best student, really. Of course. I mean, like, that's actually really like beautiful alchemical medicine to like have to, what is it, oscillate between those two seeming extremes to mm-hmm. find that commonality between them, actually. It's like it's true, you know, like the best teachers are actually the most vulnerable and surrendered people in the room. Which makes me think of, you know, the yogic philosophy of Stirasuka, the balance of mm-hmm. effort and ease, the balance yeah. of student and teacher, that when you allow yourself, when you surrender, that's when the magic happens, ultimately. Right. I have a client, this is actually kind of relevant right. to our conversation. <laughs> It's late at night here. <laughs> like, you know, it's early, it's early morning for me and late at night for you. I love I'm it. I'm an hour and a half away from bedtime. So if my English starts to fail, I apologize. <laughs> I have a client who's doing a 200-hour teacher training right now. And she reached out to me last night because she's at the phase of her education where they have to start practicing teaching. Mm. And everywhere else in her life, she is the best, the most talented the smartest, the one who has it the most together. And in this yoga environment, she's not, she's not good at it yet. And she started, I was like, okay, well, what's your question? You know, and then she's just like, how do I get good at teaching yoga? And I was like, I'm not sure that's your question. (laughs) (laughs) And then we, we went a little deeper and really her question is like how to be comfortable with the vulnerability of not being perfect, you know? And when you're a yoga teacher, and I experienced this in my yoga teacher training too, and I still have such awe for a yoga teacher who can lead a 90-minute class from memory and like include the nuanced adjustments and point to certain muscular things in between each postures and then forget the Sanskrit. Like, I mean, it's just, it's a lot. And she's like trying to jump out of the starting gate and be a master. And I'm like, listen, (laughs) this is vulnerable. You can acknowledge that it's actually really vulnerable and to sit in a room or stand in a room and showcase your body as a a model for a posture and to then use your language in a way that is self-affirming to to all people who are in the room, that takes years to actually be able to do well. And nobody is really natural at it, though in New York City, I think people are very naturally good at memorizing a script and regurgitating it. But you and I both know that there's a difference between a yoga teacher who knows a yoga practice inside and out and a person who just knows the sequencing. Right. Who's and embodying? Who's embodying? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And embodiment is a mastery. It takes practice. It's not like you jump out of the womb and you're like, I am a master yogi. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's a process. And mm-hmm. that is very, very vulnerable. Yeah. Very vulnerable. That yes. was a, truly a gift for me as well. Not mm-hmm. dissimilar because as I was saying, I was at the height of my career. When I came into that space, I had to learn to not be the smartest be person a beginner. in the room. To be yeah. a beginner. To allow yeah. myself to be the beginner. Mm-hmm. And it's great metaphor. I always think of the mat as the metaphor, right? For my life, for allowing oneself to be the beginner always. When I started I this podcast, just, I had to be a beginner podcaster. Oh yeah. I didn't know there's what the so hell much, I was doing. There's so much to know about running a podcast. And also just being interesting and like engaging and knowing what questions to ask. I commend you for, for that. 
I'm writing a, a book right now, which is storytelling and teaching. It's kind of memoir driven, but mm-hmm. topic organized. And I was just, ta- I'm working with a ghostwriter to do it because she's helping me organize so that I can just be in my free flow of the transmission itself. And one of the things that we were talking about today is discipline and repetition. Yeah. And one of the things that I feel really, really strongly about, and I have seen, I have met people who did not grow up with music or sports or having had to learn a second language. And I really feel like they have been robbed of an essential sports or a practice. I mean, yoga is, yoga is not really sport, but it's a, it can be <laughs> especially with how, with how the way yoga has transformed even over the past 15 years, how robbed that person is of having had a completely embodied understanding that like to do anything new, you have to be willing to look stupid. Like it's just inevitable. If you're going to learn a new language, you're going to say it wrong 800 times before you finally get it right. If you're learning a new instrument or you're learning how to sing you have to acquire skill over time and you can't rush that process. And it is true also that in immersion, like if you tried to learn baseball at the batting cage, you might be missing some things. But if you go out and play on a team, you also get the immersive experience of learning to play baseball in the same way that if you're at home learning yoga postures off of the internet alone in your living room, it's very different than being in a room with a teacher and other people's energy and getting to that place in a class where everyone is breathing at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's, so profound. And I I have a lot of sadness in a way and heartbreak for people who never have had that experience. And as a result are so uncomfortable with being in the very pure and innocent space of the beginner's mind, because it's really a freedom, you know, it's where liberation lives to not need to be great at things. Yeah. I, this reminds me so much of work that I do with my students, my business students of reminding them that their baby business is the most incredible place to be. Mm -hmm. It is open and ripe with possibility and that they actually don't fear failure. They think they fear Mm -hmm. failure. They don't even fear success. What they really fear is being vulnerable and allowing the world to view them as business owners and what they're offering and the, the fear that people will look at them and judge them. And that the more that you can tune in and be connected to your truth and offer yourself as service, the less that fear will be palpable. And you'll be able to open yourself up with that beginner's mindset and be willing to make mistakes boldly, proudly, beautifully, because those mistakes become the lessons which then, of course, become your vein of gold. Those those moments in your business that you've made really horrible mistakes, I would love for you to talk about this, horrible (laughs) quote-unquote mistakes, end up being like the best, the best. Yes. I have a lot of, a lot of stories about that. And what you've said is so touching, actually, because, I mean, my career trajectory was like, I was in a corporation from when I was 22 until I was... 34 or 35. I can't remember how old I was. It was like a 12-year career. And when I left finance, I went in a completely different direction. There was nothing about, at least on the surface, there was nothing about my professional status that was relevant when I chose to become a coach 
And my first iteration of my business was Adventure Awake, where I was taking people on these transformational expeditions a la Anthony Bourdain. I forgot about that. Yes. And I got the transmission or insight for that business while I was taking a shower. I mean, like, it really was like, I'm trying to not use the word download because like humans are not computers and I don't want to have anything to do with starting to move in the direction of us being binary in the way computers are because we're not nuances everything, but it really felt like, oh, wow, this just got downloaded into my body, you know, but it was, it was an insight. I had a whole vision of the business plan. I got out of the shower. I went to my notes on my phone and I wrote it all down. And four months later I launched and I was still working at my Danish, the Danish bank I was in when this happened. And so I was running this business on my very gracious seven weeks of vacation. Thank you, Denmark. And on my nights and my weekends. And I remember having an experience really early on, particularly because I had embarked, like not only was I offering of myself as a service, but the vision that I had was not something that I had strategically constructed as a means to like make money. My actual reason was because I wanted to serve people. And man, if that felt vulnerable. And I remember going to a trade show for like luxury travel. <laughs> I was trying anything. And I remember being there and I had these pictures that I had taken from our first trip in Georgia up and like our mission statement and what we were about. And I really felt like the whole heart muscle was like on this platter exposed. And I was like, oh my God, this is really vulnerable because I'm no longer hiding behind the the cloak of the corporate world where I can do my thing and then go home. Like all of me is in this. Mm. And as one does, I totally identified with that business, you know, like with that, I mean, Adventure Awake is still the name of my business on an official level, but like that was my service at the time. I, I hadn't done, I had done some individual coaching, but I, the the main offering was come with me to Jordan, come with me to Mongolia, come with me to Greenland. And I was fortunate that I had been a part of a community, a meditation community leading up to that, where actually a lot of my early clients were people I knew who went through my coaching program with me or who had been in an intensive with me or whatever it was. And so I had already built relationships with them. And so we started our trip already with a certain level of established trust. And I know myself to be a very trustworthy and integrous person, but other people who do not know me don't know that. Right. And I didn't realize what I was asking of my clients by taking them to, first of all, the ends of the earth. I didn't tell them what their itinerary was until they needed to know it. So they only knew they were going to Mongolia. They had no idea that we were going to go spend five days with reindeer shaman in northern Mongolia near the Siberian border until we were on our way there. And they were like sitting on the back of a horse <laughs> and like ready to go for like a seven hour horse journey through mud and grass and trees. <laughs> So they knew what to pack, but they didn't know what we were going to do. And I am a very resilient traveler. Like you could throw me into anything and I would be so fine. And I kind of just figured people who are going to sign up for this must be really resilient travelers. Everyone must be like me. Everybody must be like me. I, I call that a positive projection. Like I just sort of assume, and it's a terrible assumption to make. I really have gotten smacked with this, but like, I really just assumed that people would just roll with the punches and show up for their transformation because I am so unrelentingly willing to grow. I'm, I've always been this way. And so I just expected that if people were going to be attracted to me, that they would too. And I hadn't learned yet the ins and outs of the relationship building required to build trust. And I hadn't acknowledged just how vulnerable it is to one, hire a coach, just to hire a coach. 
is incredibly vulnerable because you have to admit to yourself that there's something in your life that's not working. Mm. And in 12-step work, that's the first step. And many people stay there for a really long time because they can't admit that their life is in shambles. This is in mm. the case of addiction. But even when you're hiring a coach because you want to just get better at running a business, like what you do with your clients, or learn some things that you couldn't have learned somewhere else and you're looking for teaching and mentorship, asking for help is not easy for many people. And I hadn't acknowledged or understood that just to just to hire me, someone is really putting their heart in my hands. I didn't understand that at this time, which is the time I'm getting to in the story. I shouldn't laugh about it, but it's so funny in terms of like how clueless I was, you know? I think well, you don't I just, know I think, until you know, right? You don't you, you don't do know not until know until you know. <laughs> you really don't. And then in addition to that, I was bringing them into there was no explicit container. You know, when you go to see a therapist, they're in an office, you're on the couch, they're at their desk, like there's a notepad, there's a timer, there's a clock, you know, when the time ends, you go. And when they were with me, first of all, they were with me 24 seven. They had no idea what they were doing. They had no idea where they were going. And we had maybe never met before the trip started apart from a few calls on zoom before we left. And it was so like, I look back on it and I'm just like, wow, that was really silly. Like, what were you thinking? And I just thought it was a brilliant plan. <laughs> you know? And in addition to that, part of my motto was that I wanted to show what leadership looked like when you were in the unknown. And so I went to countries I also had never been before. And so I didn't do what's called a recce beforehand. I would establish good relationships with tour guides who would help us sort out the logistics. But when I went to Mongolia, it was also my first time in Mongolia. So I also didn't know it was coming. And wow. Yeah. Which worked for me, but it actually made it challenging because there's a lot of energy that has to be managed when you're in an unfamiliar environment and so are the people around you. And it can mm. create a lot of inherent blind spots that you don't really know to look for if you're not looking for them, which I was not. And I did a trip to Namibia. And for the first time, I took clients on that trip who, first of all, were a couple, which I had never worked explicitly with couples before then. And neither of them knew me. Neither of them had a history with me. And I had met the girlfriend, but I hadn't met the boyfriend before. He basically just signed up. And I said yes, which I should not have done. But like, as time transpired on the trip, it became very clear that he was not coachable. He was not interested in being coached by me for his own reasons. But mm -hmm. like, he didn't, he didn't trust me. And I didn't know how to build that trust. And he didn't have the blueprint of the types of men that I had been working with who were already really well seeped in the conscious community. Like he was a senior level exec at Microsoft, you know, like he, he just, he thought he knew a lot of stuff and maybe he did, but he didn't know about how to be receptive at all. And the short story of it is, is that nine days into the trip, the trip got canceled. They continued on my itinerary and I got left in the middle of nowhere in Namibia. And I had to find my way back to Windhoek, like seven hours away, dropped off at a lodge. Goodbye. I basically got fired. Wow. Yeah. And I was shocked because I'm the type of person who would absolutely sit and be with challenge. And it's in my contract. Like, even if you have challenge with me, let's talk about it. And they weren't interested in doing that. And I made plenty of mistakes. And I also... I didn't really vet for the types of clients who would be the appropriate people on the trip because I was so eager to have success or at least have perceived success. Yep. And that was probably the gravest error is I wanted to be seen as successful. And so long as I had clients in a trip, people 
the words would just continue to circle around about how great I was doing. And I really wanted people to see that. That was what I wanted people to see. And it wasn't true. I wasn't doing great. <laughs> you know, I was making money, but I was spending it on expenses. And I wasn't, you know, I was making like six figures, but I was spending it. I was poor. I was broke as hell. Like there was nothing about it that was as shiny and glimmery as I made it look on the internet. And when that happened on that trip, I was devastated. And I was in shock. And I had no idea how that happened. And then I had to careen a farmer to drive me back to Windhoek. And this all took place on my birthday. I mean, like it was, it was like me in a huge pizza from this trashy lodge in the middle of nowhere and an ostrich. <laughs> That's how I spent my birthday. And I got home and I thought my life was over as I knew it. Because I had put so I had put all of my eggs in this basket, you know, like I I I was sure that my business was done, you know, like that I I was so ashamed. And um I actually that same summer I went offline to just regroup because I was like, okay, there's something in me trying to maintain a facade here or an image mm -hmm. of success that now that the image has been stripped away, I have to look squarely at where I actually am. And I went very, very deep into a meditation practice that summer, which was also something that was fair weather at that point up until that point. Like I, I loved meditation. I went very deep into it, but it wasn't a consistent practice for me. And I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and I started over. That was actually when I launched a website with my actual name on it <laughs> because I had transitioned from a company where I was hiding to a company where I was hiding. I was yeah. hiding behind the Adventure Awake brand. And it was such an edge for me to put antisajensen.com online. It was so wild. I didn't want to do it. My coach made me. <laughs> she was like, it's time. You know, like I'd had the, I had the, the URL, but like I, the website was not <laughs> that active. And I started to have more private clients because I, I realized that I needed to learn how to build a relationship over time with people and understand how long that was going to take and then evaluate whether I would take them on that kind of trip. And where I got to is that I don't take people on trips like that unless we have a pre-established relationship. They need to be former clients in order to travel with me now. And so it was such an important learning. Also, because now I think one of the things that I am very, very good at is I'm very good at establishing a sense of openness, honesty, safety, and trust very early on in a container such that the intimacy is very, very profound and palpable from a really, really early point in any kind of container that I have. And it's because of that. I had to go so deep into that because I knew that I would never be able to run a trip like that again if I didn't learn this thing. And, this is and, so powerful. Yeah, yeah. This is so powerful. And speaking of vulnerable, really vulnerable for you to share that story and really honest. And I really, really appreciate it because there are so many lessons in that story. I want every single one of my students who's listening to this, and even if you're not my student, to go <laughs> back and listen to this story again, repeat it, because they're like every every couple of seconds, I was like, oh my gosh, there's a golden nugget. There's another <laughs> golden nugget. It's like, we got the golden ticket. This story's the <laughs> golden ticket. There's so many amazing lessons and learnings in this story. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Of course. Thank you. Of course. And of course, that dramatically, as we were saying, that, you know, being that vulnerable, being that out there, having to make the quote unquote mistake shifted your business. It brought you into this next phase, this next level. Mm -hmm. 
of not only your business, but of you, right? That's one of the, the best parts yeah. of, of being an, a personal brand business for me anyway. And I, I'll get your take on this as well, is that we're like almost forced to dig deeper in a beautiful way, but also sometimes in a scary way. Like you don't have it's a choice. It's a real accelerator. Yes. It's a real accelerator. If you choose to make it so, otherwise it's very painful. Gosh, that's a good like, point. Because I've either been you accelerate. <laughs> oh, me too. Either you accelerate or you put your heels in and everything is hard. Yeah. Especially if like if you're serving in this way where you're you're offering support. If you're a, yeah. a support person or a guide, your clients are gonna reflect everything back to you that you need to know in order to grow. <laughs> and if you're teaching something to them that you've not integrated you better look at it after that call is over. Yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah, because it'll come smack you real fast. Oh, yeah, it surely will. It surely yeah. will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. Uh, I went on vacation for a couple of weeks and then COVID. So I was yeah. out for almost six weeks. And it's funny because I preach to my students, to my clients all the time about taking time, taking time away from your business, that sometimes the work is in the rest, and yet I wasn't actually practicing it. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of knew that I was going to take a couple of weeks off, but I got smacked and it ended up being about six weeks. Mm. And what happened was I was more creative in those six weeks than I had been maybe in the two years combined. Lots. Wow. It just opened this channel of, mm. of, of energy for the download, for the flow, mm-hmm. right? In a way that I hadn't realized that my go, go, go had been blocking. And here it was, oh, again, yeah. something that I preach and I tell my students all the time to do, and yet I wasn't actually living it. So mm-hmm. I had to get smacked in the face in order to live that. God was like, it's time for you to slow down, Nick. Totally. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah, rain, 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 roll, roll. My COVID experience was not like yours. I did not have a bunch of downloads and insights while I was on COVID. I actually felt really disconnected from source for the first time in years. And I didn't realize, I mean, I knew I'm a very deeply perceptive person and I'm very and completely guided by my intuition. Yeah. And when I got COVID, I couldn't feel anything for like two weeks. And it was alarming. I was so disturbed by it that I ended up jumping into a master cleanse to just like move it out. <laughs> wow. I was like, my skin, like I could feel the subtle inflammation. And, you know, was, a lot of people say that their skin hurts when they get COVID. I had that. Yeah. And my skin felt inflamed. I have a, um, my inflammatory markers in my body are naturally quite high anyway, but I felt like I was in an echo chamber and that my connection to source had been severed. And it was so bizarre for me. But my experience is a little different than yours. My life is kind of like a vacation. <laughs> I, Denmark has been so good for this, actually. Like, as an American, I came here and I judged the crap out of people who went on all those seven weeks of vacation. Like, it's a wonder that businesses stay in business during the month of July, frankly. Like, no one's here. No one's running things. How how are we still making money? I don't know. It's a mystery. But about three or four years in, I was like, there's something to this whole taking time off and relaxing. Yeah. Yeah. By the time I ended my career, I was working from home two days a week. I was, you know, when I started my business, I was working a lot. And now my week schedule is like every morning I get up, 
I go to yoga. I make myself breakfast. I sit on my terrace. I move very, very slowly. My first calls are not until 10 or 11 in the morning. And those are the ones that are having Asia who are at the end of their day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, I take multiple days off a week. I never fill my schedule with calls. I have, I have a rule for myself, which I learned through experience. Also speaking of early business experiences, I learned that I get really fried if I spend more than four hours a day in front of a screen, especially on calls like this or calls like coaching. Yeah. Where there's a lot of energetic exchange happening yeah. and the screen, the internet and the screen amplify that energy. And so it's almost sure. like you get, you get zapped and I would get fried, you know, like completely fried. And so now I have a rule that I only have 12 hours of calls a week of on, on zoom. Mm-hmm. And if I have other things going on, I will work. Sometimes I'm writing content or whatever else, but as a result, my COVID time didn't necessarily feel like a vacation. I was just bored (laughs) and I was too tired to do anything. Like I couldn't, I couldn't work if I tried, I couldn't write because I couldn't feel, you know, and everything I write is direct transmission. So it's not like I'm thinking about what I'm sharing. I it's coming through me and I have to write it down and then put it on the internet. Well, what I'm, what I'm really mean by that was that I learned that not only do I need to take more time, yeah. But I need to pull, you know, the way in which you need, you needed to put yourself out there as the face of your business. I need to pull yeah. myself out of my business a bit more. Yeah. Are you a manifesting generator? And I'm a generator. I'm a generator. You're a generator. Okay. But, but yeah, it feels like I'm a manny gen, even though I'm a gen, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> it does. Right. But I'm not oddly, but I, you know, I tend to have 5,000 projects going at the same time. And what I've realized is that I, I need to pull myself back a bit so that it's like that, they, what they often say, slow down to speed up type thing. Yeah, mastery's in the slow. Yeah, mastery's mm-hmm. in the slow. And I have to remind mm-hmm. myself of that and yeah. pull myself back, rein myself back a bit. And I have to too sometimes. I mean, I think that this is also the very nature of being an entrepreneur it is, is that it's kind of, it's a marathon and a sprint all at once because in order to be relevant as a business, you need continuity and consistency. And sometimes, I mean, I know for me that there are certain times of the year where I will work 12 to 16 hours yes. a day Yes. because I'm launching something, because I'm developing something, because I'm creating new content or a process, or I'm putting something down on a paper for the first time that I was only teaching through words or through speaking. And in those moments, it's a lot like, and you can't, like, I don't know about you, but like, I cannot be interrupted. Like I will go months without seeing my friends. This is my devotional practice. It's seasonal. It's seasonal and not based on the seasons, but it is a seasonal experience where there are great periods for me of intense work where, like you said, it's like, don't even knock on my door right now. I'm busy, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm in the, I'm in the space. Disturbed. Do not disturb. And then there are other times where it's like the door's wide open and I need to go outside and I need to not work at all for mm-hmm. periods. And I so I think that COVID taught me was that I hadn't in the last, I would say year. Yeah. I hadn't been honoring that in a way that really would serve not only me, but would actually mm-hmm. serve my clients and my students better. Yeah. So, okay, we have like gone up and around and down the block and it's been an amazing hour of conversation. I could talk yeah. to you for forever. What I, you know yes. what I mean? It's like an old I friend. Like you said, way. we're back sitting down on the couch at Sonic, you know, like we're sitting yeah. the, in, the, in the lounge chatting. Yeah, with our sweaty yoga clothes. <laughs> <laughs> 
we look better now. We don't have the sweaty yoga clothes on. I mean, you it's know. true. Is there anything that would make this conversation feel complete, feel whole? Is there any final thought that you just want to say, you know what, we didn't say this, but this is what I want to say today? Well, I guess I feel like it's it's valid to just really put the through line of our conversation in because it, it seems meandering, but I don't think that it really it's is. It's not, actually, no. And we've really talked a lot about self-mastery. Mm-hmm. And there are two things that stand out in our conversation. And like one of it is the discipline and the repetition. And the other is finding out what your right speed is, really. I mean, we didn't, we didn't say that explicitly, but you have to slow down to speed up is one of those. Like I say often to people, you can't drive in sixth gear until you learn to drive in first gear. You know, mm-hmm. it's like trying to go 60 miles per hour on a mountain cliffside road. It's not going to work. And this is especially relevant, I think, for the entrepreneurial crowd, which is really much, much, very much your audience. Um, and also to a degree, mine too, is you, you kind of want to get out of the starting gate in a dead sprint. And um, this is where it's actually, you need to have that marathon mindset of like, I need to be able to sustain this over time. And this brings in what I would say is for me, something that would be a final piece is particularly when you're running a business that is yourself as an offering into the world. You know, a big question I get a lot is how do you create a business that is mutable like you are. Like I'm a very mutable person. I, sh- I a lot. I mean, like I said to you, I don't even remember filling out the survey that I did when I signed yeah. when we you know, found the time for this. I have like I'm really present, but I I don't remember. I have a lot of amnesia about who I was yesterday. I wake up in the morning and I really genuinely ask myself, who am I today? Like, what do I need to know about myself? How am I feeling? What do I need? Those are instinctive things that I'm asking myself the moment that I wake up. And sometimes the answer is I need to stay in my pajamas all day and do absolutely nothing. And sometimes the answer is, even though I'm really tired, I need to go to the gym or to, to a yoga class or whatever it is. And the, the directive to experience answer to that question that I, I say directive to experience, because I really want like for people to be able to find this out is create a business that can grow with you. And when you're creating content and marketing and finding strategy and creating a business plan, how do you create a business that has the space that you need to continue to evolve so that you don't get stuck in that iteration of the business and have it stunt your growth and then also make it so that your business can't evolve either? And this, for me, I feels like feels like such a, an essential part of running a business when you're offering this kind of service because... Like I had this experience with Adventure Awake. Like there was a way in which I wasn't going to grow anymore so long as I continued to fit within that format. I needed to actually have Adventure Awake fit into Antisa Jensen and not the opposite. Ooh. And I've been having my hands up like preach, yeah, preach, 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 preach. That it, for preach me it. has felt like such an, imp- it's been so important for me. And I think for, particularly for, for my listener, that was really important to hear for the for the creative soulpreneurs yeah, be- because you are an evolution. You're yeah. constantly growing. So building this, the infrastructure so that you can grow and it can grow with you and you can, and you can grow and then it grows with you. Like which came first, the chicken or the egg? It's this evolution, but you have to create the infrastructure, the underneath 
the foundation that allows yeah. for that growth, the roots, the roots of the tree way down deep so that yeah. as you're blossoming and let's say you blossom to the right and then it curves to the left, you're still deeply rooted as the flowers are sprouting in different colors all over the tree. Amen. And in real talk, one of the things I will add to that is it took me a few years into my business to figure out what the through line was that was sure. the foundation. And I know a lot of people get really hard on themselves about not knowing what that through line is, especially creative people who maybe have seemingly opposing gifts. Sure. <laughs> and yeah. once you find out, like for me, what my through line is emotional intelligence. My through line is communication mastery. I'm so much more versatile than those words could ever describe. And people who are called to work with me, and I don't do a lot of sales, I don't do any sales outreach apart from occasionally mention that I have something on offer on social media and my newsletter. I like it that way. Every time someone tries to teach me how to do sales or send me something to sign up for whatever on Not your thing. Like, You're like, nope. Like, no, thanks. <laughs> I'm not interested <laughs> in getting more leads. I don't want to have 30 calls a day. Goodbye. <laughs> but all of that said, like to be able to, like once you know what your through line is, it actually creates a great deal of confidence mm -hmm. and so, more importantly, self-assuredness, which is really magnetic. Yeah. And as a result, people will come to you because they want to work with you, not because of what your title is or what the marketing content says on your website. And that for me has been such a core learning is, and it ties into what you were saying too around self-care is when you're really caring for yourself, people can feel that even if they're not in direct contact with you all the time. And they're going to be attracted to that energy because you feel good, even if you're not in the same room as them. Yeah. And that for me is like, this is why I self-care. This is why I float. This is why I go to yoga. This is why I eat healthy food. This is why I make sure I get nine and a half hours of sleep every night. Like, and this is why I don't get so attached to needing my content to look any particular way it's because it all it all feeds through that singular thread yeah because we're multi-passionate mm -hmm. multi-hyphenate ever-evolving incredible yeah. human beings yes. and so therefore so should our content so yes. should what we offer so should yeah. how we serve yeah and that is in my opinion self-mastery yes yeah Hallelujah. So, hallelujah. Amen, sister. Amen. So <laughs> how, where can uh, everyone reach you? How can they find you and follow you and come work with you and all those good things? Well, if you want to follow me on social media, I love that. And I would also love to hear from you. And I'm the only Antisa Jensen, so far as I know, on the internet. So I'm pretty easy to find, but it's A-N-T-E-S-A -E -S is my first name. And then Jensen is J-E-N-S-E-N. -E and I'm on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. My website is antisajensen.com. And I have lots of free content in there. I have a free breath bundle in there. You could have a heyday on my website and get a lot out of it. So that's, that's by design. Love it. So yeah. thank you so much for this great conversation. And for my absolute pleasure. It's so good to reconnect and, you know, as if we never left off. So I really, really appreciate that. And for those of you that are out there that are listening, be sure to take your takeaway and offer it to Antisa and DM me as well. And let me know what was your takeaway, particularly that story. Go back and listen to it for the third time, <laughs> y'all. It's so good. And um, we'll see you again real soon on our next yes. episode.
Thank you so very much. Thank you. Bye.